0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Several leaders, including our own Premier, have said there could be a huge surge in cases with the pandemic over the next few weeks. Just what does that mean? We'll also hear from some of our CHML listeners on how they're coping with the pandemic so far and some of their concerns. And earlier this week, we were supposed to find out whether Hamilton was going to host the 2030 Commonwealth Games. Well, the announcement's been postponed, but there's a new twist to the application. You'll hear it exclusively right now. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. We've been hearing uh, from our leaders, uh, both the Prime Minister, the Premier here in Ontario, uh, even Donald Trump in his daily briefings, have warned us that common message here is that, look at things are going to get pretty rough, that's the phrase they keep using, over the next two or three weeks in particular here in North America. So what does pretty rough mean? I mean, wh- what are we expecting here? They're a little vague about that. But uh, I think you know there's there's a certain amount of anticipation, nervous anticipation, about what just might be happening. Try to shed some light on this. We're pleased to welcome uh, back to the program Dr. Rodney Roddy, who is a professor and chair in clinical laboratory science program at the College of Health Professionals at Texas State University. Uh, Dr. Roddy, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us again today.
1: Good morning, sir. How are you doing?
0: Do how are you coping?
1: We're doing okay. It's getting, it's, you know, it's a little surreal uh, to coming into work. I'm still coming into work here at, at the university, but there is absolutely no students here, no faculty here. There's just, we have to keep our offices open for phone. So it's like one person per office. So it's a little surreal uh, to look around a campus of 45,000 people and there's zero people walking around. So between that and, and, you know, trying to stay at home a lot uh, the wife and son are doing that. And then when I get home, we just kind of sit around and have a routine of trying to, you know, make it through each day.
0: I noticed I had to go to the pharmacy yesterday and uh, did, you know, to see the people, well, some of them wearing masks, just about everybody had gloves on. If they couldn't get surgical gloves, they were wearing winter gloves or golf gloves, something. Right, right. And I, I feel like we're playing a role in a bad science fiction movie, but it's it's real. You know, I mean, that, that's, heard I've
1: heard that so many times. My wife and I were talking about we're actually fans of, you know, like dystopian novels and oh yeah, yeah. And apocalyptic movies. And it, it really does feel that way when you walk, you know, when you're avoiding people and, and you walk into maybe a pharmacy or an essential place that's open and, you know, nobody, it, it's just bizarre. It's just kind of this silence and, you know, they hand you, they don't really hand you anything. You, you put your stuff down, they pick it up with gloves on and, and there's very little human contact. So it, it is quite surreal for us.
0: It is rather bizarre. And uh, we're told, uh, the president men- made mention of this, our prime minister did, our leaders are all telling us that the next two or three weeks in particular, I watched Governor Cuomo yesterday with his daily thing around noontime, and, uh, and he mentioned that too. Uh, I, 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 I don't know exactly what that means. I mean, we've seen the curve, and it, it's not looking good for us right now. I think a lot of us, and you talked about this, I think, with this a couple of weeks ago, uh, doctor, that... You know, we looked at Italy and in Spain. I thought, well, that's not going to happen here. Yet right. the projections seem to be it's it's starting to happen here. If it isn't already there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what people have to remember is that you know it's it's always easy to kind of look at another place, another you know another country, and kind of think that that's not going to happen. But I think with the New York uh, situation going on, and as well as now we're worried about New Orleans and maybe Miami. And so I think what you're going to see in the U.S., so I'm near Austin, so I'm a little concerned about Austin. In hindsight, um, they canceled South by Southwest in Austin back in May, and I'm so glad they did that. It was really a tough decision, really ticked a lot of people off. But, you know, Mardi Gras, I mean, these things that people just didn't really realize a month, five weeks ago that may have helped, that went ahead and went on, uh, brought in, you know, international audiences uh, and just people packed into those places. So... I think what we're going to see here in the U.S. And, and likely in other countries is that when you look at high, high populations in urban centers, you know that's probably going to be the hot spots, and you'll see those kind of popping up around the country depending on what has happened in those cities in the past five to six weeks. I mean, one thing a person could do, in my professional opinion, is kind of look backward. And so if you look backward, epidemiologists do this all the time, look backward and see if there were any massive or even even moderate-size events, so major conferences, uh, anything like a festival, anything that brought people in from a variety of locations, and not just totally international, but maybe even you know across the country uh, that came from different places, because then you basically have a mixing pot for that virus to hop around to different people, and then, of course, they hop back on planes and take off back to their centers of living, so you know, viruses are going to virus, as I've mentioned before, and and it's just going to be probably an incubation time period before we see those. Here in Texas, um, the governor has been talking about, and I tend to agree, I think over the next, I'm going to push it more towards late April, in my opinion, mid to late April, and then even early May, I think we're going to start seeing, you know, a rise in cases in Texas, as well as other places. And again, I think more in the urban settings where people are packed in if you live in rural areas it's you know you still want to you still want to follow all the rules but i think it'll be a little bit slower uh, to be seen in those areas unless you've had some kind of major event
0: but if, if we to take our leaders at, at their word and i i think your, your strategy here and uh, your projection here is probably bang on that it's going to be probably towards the end of this month uh, is it because we're going to have more positive signs uh, from testing or is it simply because the virus is spreading that quickly?
1: I think it's both. I think now that testing is ramped up here in the U.S., we you know we seem to be getting on track with, with uh, way more testing going on and way more testing being participated in. And so when you test for it, you're going to find it. So obviously, as you test for it, you're going to see those case numbers climb. Deaths, you know, or of course, are deaths. You'll know those when they happen with respect to a with a confirmatory test. But I think you'll see that that case number climb uh, maybe more quickly than normal because of that testing being ramped up and more people worried about it. You know, I was looking at my my typical morning, you know, opening up my browser and seeing that we're approaching a million cases worldwide
2: mm-hmm.
1: and about forty eight thousand deaths. So we're pushing about a five percent case fatality right now, uh, which is you know above what many people kind of started when back, you know, in early January, we were kind of talking about a three, two and a half to three. Uh, and that's globally here in the U S it's about 2.4% today. And if I checked Canada before I jumped on, it's about 1.4. So y'all are still a little lower, which is nice, but I would expect, you know, especially in the next month, maybe the next four to five weeks, we're going to see that really be pushed up a little bit. Well, you know, Ultimately, again, we all have to remember that um, it really takes time. I'm just stating those numbers. It's a snapshot right now, but when you when you look back, so a year from now, you know we'll have a better picture of what that kind of number is because you'll have more confirmed, mm-hmm. not only positive but maybe mistakes where people were actually negative and it was a false positive. So those numbers could change over the coming year for sure.
0: Let's talk about people's attitude towards this. And and, and the feedback I've been getting, of course, has been, uh, I, I should say, mixed. Okay, There are some people that I think fully grasp exactly the severity of what we're dealing with here others maybe not so much and figure oh come on I'm not gonna have to wash my hands 15 20 times a day and, and notwithstanding the fact that the experts are saying yeah you should and you, you should have been doing that anyway but you know that there are preventative things that we can be doing but but i'm I'm noticing I don't see the social distancing and you know like I say I went to the pharmacy yesterday and it, it was non-existent unless somebody at the store there the staff member said hey six feet people please uh we just seem to think right. it's it's something that oh, we did that for a week okay let's that's, that's you know, let's move on and do something else. That we have to have, I, I think, some consistency here, and I don't see that happening an awful lot. And we've seen this, of course, on the on the news. Uh, there are still people gathering at uh, at beaches and still hanging out in public places or playing pickup basketball. And uh, I don't understand that they don't seem to grasp the idea that they're not supposed to be doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a very interesting real time social experiment uh, in how people adhere to warnings and public health warnings and and certainly I mean you, I think you kind of know my feelings on this from our previous talks but going back you know decades and decades of us trying to talk to the public about preparing for this as well as the government and just kind of thinking about plans around this I just think it's people's you know how their kind of mindset is with respect to trust um, I mean I think in the u.s we are actually turning a corner with it I mean we are the highways are I had to drive this morning, and in I-35 in Austin is usually a nightmare. Uh, it's wide open. I mean, so I do believe that people are starting to stay home more, but there are pockets. I mean, you still see, you know, certain types of, of people maybe in stores at a higher rate than, you know, less than 10, and you see, you know, some social distancing. So I still con- I'm still concerned about that. And then you just see individuals, you know, either – either in the media or on social media, and and just doing things almost, you know, in spite of all the warnings. And I just don't know if that's for attention or just, or what uh, they're thinking. But they're certainly not realizing that, you know, even if they avoid something, they can still be a vector and can harm somebody that, you know, can't fight it off as well. So I try to talk to people about, you know, their hands, their very bodies are, basically vectors for a virus and so even if they're not sick or not getting you know as ill as other people they are certainly a, a vehicle to literally kill somebody so they need to kind of pay attention to what's going on and take it seriously
0: can we learn from the the chinese situation uh you know, that's obviously where this initiated from and uh we're looking at how they've dealt with this and that they basically shut the country down for a period of weeks uh we're right. doing this but I, I get the sense doctor that we're doing it in north america kind of in half measures uh and yeah. i'm not quite sure why and which is maybe why we're only getting half the results we want to be getting
1: yeah you're absolutely right i mean i think you hit the nail on the head i think i think the difference is again this is just a little bit of my personal opinion is that the mindset of the people as far as how the government um kind of sets up society. And certainly China is different than the U.S. And, and even Canada. And I think, you know, Americans are definitely known for their independence and their kind of get-it-done attitude. I mean, you guys know this, and and I see that in my friends and, and colleagues. We're a country that likes to go to work every day, and, and I just think it's hard. It's really hard for people, even if the government is stressing it. What I wonder, um, and this may be kind of what you're hitting at, is that Will there come a moment, and it may be, you know, in hindsight we may say this should have happened earlier, but will there come a moment where, you know, governors and or the president basically has to enact, you know, some type of martial law and just forbid people from, you know, leaving their homes or their yards at least? Uh, And then that's, you know, we remain to see if that is is going to occur, but it seems that some people almost need that type of threat, uh, you know, to kind of follow the rules.
0: Well, the Minister of Health, the Federal Minister of Health, was um, talking on the media, of course, as as they all do on a daily basis now. And and I I guess we have to be careful, Doctor, here of oversimplifying all these things, because there is no simple way for us to to deal with this. But she essentially said, if we stop moving, the virus stops moving. It's as simple as that. Uh, And if there was a total shutdown for 10 days, 14 days, 20 days, whatever it would take, Uh, You're not going to get rid of the virus, but it's going to stop the spread of it. And that's really job one here, isn't it, to make sure that there are no new cases?
1: Right. I mean, and and again, going back to that common theme, I think, in every country now is the idea that you slow it down to the point where you can help and assist the healthcare force. You know, I mean, if we do not do our part in keeping it from surging and overwhelming the healthcare facilities, then we're gonna see something that many of us in our lifetime have never seen, you know, which is a high number of deaths and and healthcare workers, you know, falling ill and, and maybe just not enough people to take care of those who are most sick. So that is the most important priority right now is, you know, stop moving around, stop interacting with people. If not for yourself, then do it for your neighbors so that perhaps we can protect those hospitals and healthcare facilities from just being overwhelmed with patients.
0: And and that seems to be the message and I understand as, as you know public officials elected officials especially are always going to be concerned about pushback and you know well this is a free society and they're absolutely right. Uh, But, you know, the message is, uh, hey, it's not stop socializing less, you know, do it less than you did. Don't do it at all for a period of time. And that's going to be difficult for some people. I mean, you know, to go back to our our movie analogy from a few minutes ago, I think we've all seen the movies, you know, where they're, like you say, there's some sort of martial law. You're not even allowed on the streets. Where are your papers? And we thought, well, we're never going to get like that. But that's kind of what they did in China, and it seemed to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, and now what they're seeing in China is that really the only case is as far as the, the information that we're getting is really from people coming into China. So now they've barred, you know, foreign or, you know, nationals from coming in. So, you know, it may, it may take that. And I guess the question is, when is it going to, when's that trigger going to be pulled or will it be pulled with respect to kind of people pushing back against the governments that, that will be an interesting dynamic to kind of watch as it unfolds. I I personally think that, you know, I don't like everything that's going on, but I do agree that, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it 100 percent. You can't do it county by county. You can't do it city by city. It just makes no sense to allow people to, to move across the country from one place to the other uh, and, and maybe bring in new potential cases. So if you're going to pull the trigger, let's do it and let's close it down You know, and, and let it sit for a while, at least through the month of April and kind of reassess as we get into May.
0: Well, guys, I think we have to look around us to see the severity of what's going on. I mean, for those that are going to say, well, we can't really do that, Doctor, look at what we are doing. I mean, you know, Flushing Meadows, where the U.S. Open Tennis Championship is supposed to be played. First of all, it's canceled. It's not going to happen this year. But they're turning it into a hospital. Uh, a number of buildings, right. you know, it's municipal buildings, state buildings, federal buildings, are now, they're throwing pots and beds in there and saying that's where, you, you know, we're going to throw the overflow in this. Uh, but that crisis is already here. It's not something that might happen. It is happening right now and happening around us.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, <clears throat> when I opened up this browser this morning, it even kind of caught me by surprise. And I've been following this as an expert for, you know, two, two months almost. So to reach a million cases and almost 50,000 deaths globally, that's, that's, that's an eye catcher. You know, I didn't even expect that uh, back when this thing first started that we would be seeing these types of numbers. So certainly, uh, as scientists and, and health professionals and citizens, you have to follow the science and the evidence. And the evidence is showing us that this is you know, very serious and that it's going to continue to be serious because, again, the population is naive immunologically. They have no resistance. We don't have vaccines. We haven't seen this virus before. So it's going to spread like wildfire uh, until we you know, take measures to slow it down. And then hopefully, if this becomes a problem in following years, we have some herd immunity in the population through both those that have been infected and survived as well as hopefully a vaccine going forward.
0: Exactly, and listening to the experts such as yourself that are giving us this advice. Uh, Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time today. Stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk again soon. I appreciate the time. Take care you too dr rodney rhodi of course from texas state university uh who this is his expertise so he's talking about you know viruses and, and microbiology and these are the people we should be listening to and our, our elected officials are now listening to it i think you can say that as a blanket statement but now we have to start to heed that advice you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml as i go through my emails and tweets and uh, some of the comments that you've been giving us for the last couple of weeks now it's, it's difficult to, to, to try to, I think, come up with an appropriate metaphor. A conversation we had with Dr. Rohde just a couple of minutes ago, I, that was, I, I think, the essence of it, to try to get the message across to people. And, uh, and to use the medical analogy once again, uh, it's like if you start feeling sick. Uh, sometimes the doctor says, just go home and rest, okay? Maybe take a, a Tylenol or something like that. But if it's a more severe illness, well, it calls for more severe and, and drastic actions. It could be surgery. It could be any number of things, and I still, to use that metaphor, I still think a lot of people are looking at COVID-19 and saying, "Well, it's just it's like having a cold." Okay, they say that they, we're, we're supposed to practice social distancing, so so maybe I won't go out as often, but I'm still going to go out because it was a nice day yesterday. You're not supposed to do that. Some things you have to do, and so okay, you got to make a trip to the pharmacy. We have to eat things like that. But I had one city employee talk to me over the other day and said, look, at one of the waterfalls, it was what a week or so ago, there were 300 people there. It's closed. You're not supposed to be there. And, And I just don't understand how we don't get the message, which is why we brought up the idea that maybe it's going to take more severe actions by the government to do something about it. But in the meantime, I want to talk to you now about how you're coping with this. Are you following the rules? Are you doing what they're telling us to do uh, about social distancing and, and staying in the house unless absolutely necessary to go out? Because I'm getting mixed reaction from, from listeners over the last little while. Uh, some suggest we're not going far enough. Uh, some suggesting that the cities are, and, and the country and the province is overreacting to this whole thing, that they don't really need to shut this thing down. So what do you think? Are you coping with this all right? Uh, how do you like the way that our public officials are dealing with us in a situation like this? You know how to get a hold of us, as always. Uh, the phone number, 905-645-3221, 645-3221. Star 9900 is a toll-free number for you. You can get us on email, kelly at 900chml.com, and also on Twitter at kelly. Your thoughts and uh, your your feelings about how this is going and uh, how you and your neighbors and everybody else are coping with this. Uh, it's it's interesting. Just uh, went for a walk around the block uh, yesterday yesterday, and uh, waving to two or three of the neighbors, and everybody seems to be adhering to this and keeping their distance and understanding this, and, yeah, it's frustrating. It is, but, you know, these, the, these are the experts, the Dr. Rhodes and, the you know, the medical officers of health that are on here every day talking to us about this, and uh, it, the numbers don't lie. I mean, a lot of people are getting infected with this. A lot of people are dying because of this, and, you know, if this is the reality that I guess we're facing. So, it is going to be somewhat restrictive for us. It, it, they, they say it has to be that way. That's all there is to it. Let me go to your calls 905 645 3221 star 9900. I'll get you some emails in a couple of seconds, too. John, you're going to start things off. How are you doing today? Hi, John. Hi. Go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Oh, we're having a good time here. We're in our living, uh, living room and bedroom. My daughter's got me trapped up here. <laughs> i'm mean extra age group of 70s and what we do on is we got the old jigsaw puzzles out mind make make your mind think and everything else and just turn the tv off that's all i got to say bill
0: all right. Appreciate the call, John. Uh, yeah, this is kind of, as some people say, going back to the old days, before we had all this multimedia stuff. But and, uh, and I get that, and, and I know it can be boring. I know that you just – I've watched some of the comments on social media over the last two or three days, and, and some people are getting a little bit of cabin fever, and that's understandable. But I guess what we have to do here is keep in mind the greater good, why we're doing this. You know, this is not a, a game. It's not a test. Uh, it, it's not a reality show. This is It's reality uh, that we're dealing with here. 905-645-3221, start 9900. Uh, David on email at bkelly900chml.com. David writes, uh, if you look at China, North and South Korea, Japan, and many other countries from Asia, they have all reported low numbers of spread and death. China's population is about four times that of the USA. What do most of these countries have in common, uh, that the countries with the high community spread... Uh, that don't have it's he says face masks and and that's a debate that's going on that's one of the debates that's going on right now as to whether or not we should be wearing face masks as we're going back and forth uh when i was at the pharmacy yesterday about half the people there had face masks on initially they said don't because it's 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 not really going to be helpful. Now they seem to be saying don't because well, if you're using it, that means somebody who's a first-line healthcare worker or a police officer or whomever doesn't have it. I mean, we don't have enough masks. That that seems to be the reality. So they would pr- prefer that we didn't. Uh, which I always found was, was okay, I can live with that. Okay, there aren't enough, so we have to to ration these things. But on the other hand, uh, no matter what kind of a, a virus we're dealing with here, uh, you know, if you can stop the the the, the passage of the virus from one to another and if it's coming from mucus or it's coming from droplets or whatever it is, uh, the mask would certainly at least curtail that if not, you know, stop it altogether. So, I mean, if you've got one, why not? And gloves, of course, just what everybody in the store yesterday had gloves on and uh, we don't all have uh, surgical gloves, of course, but uh, winter gloves, whatever it took and, and, you know, maybe a little silly wearing those sorts of things in April, but it's, uh, it's, it's carrying along with the theme that the doctors and the professionals are talking to us about to make sure that we don't pass the virus on and washing your hands more often etc it's uh it's the new reality i guess 905-645-3221 start 9900 uh some people are deemed to be essential workers and are still going out there and uh, and they're very upset about those of us who don't need to be out there but are out there anyway and not really doing what we're supposed to be doing uh which creates a higher risk i guess for some of those folks uh john uh, had a couple of good points though about staying inside and just dealing with it but what about those that have to go outside i'm gonna uh, finley is calling us now uh finley thank you so much for being on the program how are you today how are you feeling
3: uh, i'm doing good how about yourself
0: i'm hanging in i'm hanging in living from from the house here and doing everything we're supposed to be doing now you're from my understanding you're you're a construction worker so you're out there working
3: yeah, every day we're out there working. You know, it's hard to maintain your social distance. And when you got, you know, if you got something heavy to pick up, you need someone to help you. I mean, you're touching all this equipment, shovel, tools. It's hard to keep everything clean. And then the worst thing is you don't want to go home and bring it home to your wife or your kids. So it's scary. How
0: do you how do you cope with that then? And how do your how does your family feel about that?
3: Well, she, my wife's working from home right now, and you know she's worried about me all the time, and I'm worried too. I like that's my last worry is you know I don't want to get something sick. So every day you got to go into work thinking you know try and do your best and keep clean but sometimes it's hard right you don't have hot water on the job site how can you wash your hands properly
0: yeah how do you keep cleaning you
3: hop in a truck you touch something that someone else has touched it's tough
0: yeah when you're when you're at work uh do you have your own tools or are you sharing tools with other workers
3: we share tools with other workers right i mean they're not really enforcing it yet on the job site so i'd like to see the government try and act and Maybe just stop for two weeks. You know, if you're not that essential, if you're not working on hospitals or houses for people, maybe just stop the construction industry for two weeks and say, you know, let's stop it. Let's stop this curve. Don't put the brakes, you know, don't try and pull it down. Let's just stop it. Hammer on the brakes.
0: You know, as you describe your, your job and what's going on every day, it, this is like the, the the anti-list. Everything that we're supposed to be doing, you guys are not doing on the site. You don't have hot water. Uh, you know, you can't stay six feet apart from each other. You're sharing tools. So, I mean, you know, it's... I, you guys are... I don't want to say you're a disaster waiting to happen, but, I mean, you. I'd be pretty nervous if I were you in a situation like that because you just don't know.
3: No, exactly. Like, I wish the union would even step up, but, I mean, you know, unfortunately, the union, like... You know they want their money, obviously, but I mean, is it worth having brothers and sisters die on the front line because they're not willing to protect their workers? Like they're there to protect us. They should be saying, you know what? No, we got to protect our brothers and sisters, and we got to stop this from happening because it is a disaster waiting to happen in the construction industry.
0: Has anybody talked to uh, to the union reps about this?
3: I haven't talked to the union reps. No, not yet, but I will be.
0: Yeah, it might be coming. Liz, stay healthy, please, and thanks so much for the call today.
3: Thank you very much. You have a great day, right. and you too, stay healthy.
0: You too. 905 Nine zero five six four five thirty two twenty one star nine nine hundred. How are you coping as we head into a, uh, another day of, of uh, what we're supposed to be doing? Hopefully, so, uh, social distancing, etc., etc., etc. Brian, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, Brian. How are you today? Morning,
4: Bill. How are you?
0: I'm doing fine. Are you coping okay?
4: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm. You know, I, I, I got to go along with your previous caller. I'm in, I'm out. And about, it's, uh, I'm in an essential service, we actually supply the construction industry.
0: Ah, okay. Um,
4: and it's, uh, the thing that I've noticed over the last, I don't know, since last Thursday, Friday, there's a lot more traffic out here now than there was before. So it's like people are letting up a little bit, thinking, eh, well, maybe I can do this or do that.
0: Um, I, you know, I'm glad you said that, because I noticed that as well uh yeah. when i went out I, you know, the, 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 we're up in ancaster and of course golf links road here is a zoo anyway it's usually just a lockdown. uh in the first couple of days of this whole thing i mean you could play street hockey on there if you wanted to because there's that little traffic but it seems yeah. as if people are saying yeah okay i did that for a week or two now i'm, I'm ready to just get back to my normal life and that's that's yeah, not what we're supposed to be doing
4: no and i i agree i mean the qe the 403 quarter, it's uh there's a lot more traffic than there was last week um but I, I tell you what I, what I would like to see, and I'm I'm all with John about the construction industry because we're the same way. We get equipment back, we've got to deal with it. We don't know where it came from, who touched it. Yeah. So there's a lot more steps involved in that. But what I'm the daily pep talks, and that's what I'm referring them to, between the prime minister's uh, news, uh, his broadcast, and then Doug Ford. And all that. Uh, all the questions yesterday that I heard and I listen. I wanna I wanna know what's going on and, and sure. be proactive. But mm-hmm. I'm hearing, you know, we've got these models of what it could be, we've got these models of what it might be, we've got these models, models, models. I think it's time to throw the numbers out because I don't think people realize I think those numbers, you know, good or bad. What's the what's the lower scale model? What's the higher scale model? What what are the possibilities that we're looking at? Because I don't think people totally understand the urgency of what needs to be done. And I don't think by, you know, you know, keep telling us to wash our hands and all that stuff, that's fine. But what's the outcome if we don't? That's what they need to put out there. And I, I'm just, I, I look at these daily uh, broadcasts as pep talks, and they're not really giving us any more information. They're telling about what's coming, what's coming. But tell us what's really potentially coming. I think that's what the wake-up call that people need to fully understand what could happen if they don't do this stuff.
0: Yeah, when, when you've got the Prime Minister and the Premier, they, they both said the same thing yesterday. Uh, the next two or three weeks are going to be tough. Trump said the same thing the other day, too. What's uh, tough mean? Does how, that mean they're expecting a big spike?
4: Yeah. Well, how tough? But, you know, what? if we do this, we may get to this point. If we don't do this, we could get to this point. Throw the numbers out there and let people chew on that for a while, and then maybe they'll smarten up, start listening, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and staying in the house like they should be. That's That's... They need a kick
0: yeah. in the pants, go. Absolutely. Pants. Absolutely. Brian, stay healthy. Thanks so much for the call Thanks, today. You too. 905 645 nine star 9900 Email Kelly at 900chml.com. How are you coping as uh, we go through this, uh, this crisis? And it is a crisis. Uh, Bro- or Larry on email says, uh, good morning. As you're aware, I drive truck and I go directly home and stay there until the next day. When I go to work with no sports, it's rather boring. However, it's better than the alternative. And uh, while I'm driving here in the midday, there still seems to be way too much traffic on there. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Larry. Thanks so much for the email on this. I, we can't, to use your trucking analogy here, we can't take our foot off the gas at this stage. I mean, we're supposed to be committed to this, and we're going to keep doing that. I mean, one of the other common themes I keep hearing is, well, how much longer is this going to go on? As long as we let it go on, if we're going to ignore the advice that we're getting from medical experts on this, it's only going to get worse. It's going to spread even more. Uh, if we adhere to the advice, well, we got a pretty good chance of stopping, uh, as they say, flattening the curve, and that that's job one, and that we don't seem to be doing as good a job of that. Maybe we're just not committed to it. I don't understand that. Like, how many pictures on TV do you want to see of, of you know, makeshift morgues now in some of these European cities because people are dying at such a rapid rate? That, that's not pretend. That's not a movie. That's real. That's happening. 905-645-3221, nine hundred 9900. Frank, you're next on the Bill Keller Show. How are you feeling today, Frank?
5: I'm not too bad at all, uh, Bill. But I want to tell Good. you, I'm of that age category that, that I must stay indoors. And it takes, uh, you know, to answer your question, how you are you uh, dealing with it, it takes an undeniable amount of self-discipline. There are risk-takers that in this world, as you well know, people that will walk across uh Wide open areas on a tightrope, climbing up mountains, and they'd, they'd never think of consequences. But you know, if you, I was watching, I don't know if you watch CNN much, Chris Como, who's on air, and yeah. if he, yeah, was, he got it's... contracted just a few days ago, <clears throat> excuse me, and he was a healthy man in front of that camera on the, every night. He was put on the floor, hardly being able to breathe in moments. Now, that is what happens. People have to be, not that you want to show people these incidents of people suffering, that's sad. But, no, everybody has to join in. But I want to mention one other thing, if I, I may. I
0: by the way, just on that point, though, I'll give you a second yeah. to, to finish off. Uh, I, I watched it the night that uh, that he had told everybody that he had contracted the virus, that he had mm-hmm. tested positive. And he described the first couple of days, and his brother, who is, of course, the governor of New York, uh, mentioned it yesterday on his daily briefing, and saw, uh, same thing. I mean, Chris Cuomo for people that watch CNN, he's good. He's a guy. It looks like he's in pretty good shape. He, you know, talks about the fact that he cycles and does a lot of stuff, but he talked about this is not. He said this is not like a, a, a flu bug. He says this just knocked me on my feet. He says he's got the shivers. He got a fever, uh-huh. uh, the shakes. Uh-huh. Every joint in his body aches. I mean, this you don't want anybody to go through this.
5: Well, you know, you hear a lot in, in uh, comparison about uh, people that are sending. Dad had to go to the hospital this afternoon, or or Sally didn't come home, and then they didn't come home after that. There, there. You know, it's sad to say. You know, it's it's Italy in, in the making. They, they never saw their relatives say goodbye. This is extremely serious. There's no two ways about it. You can't gamble against it. The the, the most un- uncontrollable part of this. Uh, Bill, is nobody, uh, you, when they show that so many people have gone from wherever it's, it's a nursing home or, or whether it's off of a, a ferry, they can't really put their foot down as when exactly where they, where they were and got it. Now, people coming up from the south, they may not even know they have it because it, it, it sort of like sets into your system and, and almost and almost works on its own time clock as the when that's going to hit you, and that's based upon your immune system and who you are and, and what circumstances you're in. So, But I want, to, I want to lead on to something else here, Bill. It's, you got
0: about 30 seconds because i got a bunch
5: of folks here. here. Concerning as to what the projection is to open up the schools in, in early May. Now, by what criteria? i I got to see what they're going to claim as going to be the go-ahead point because this virus, I, I'll tell you, I'm just going to fast-forward, Bill. I wouldn't want to step outside to go anywhere into a store that would be starting to open because the education open, we want to open without knowing in our degree of certainty, where is your, your, your template? Where, where in the world did they start doing this? And it won't be Italy after the a, a rebound that it kept on having to say that you now can feel confident to go outside. I, I just think this is something to be concerned about. We should emphasize, no, we want to have some degree of absolute certainty that the virus has retrieved before we put any back anybody back on the road or whatever they're going to do, what do you think? I, you I agree,
0: that. Frank. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go and get sure, some other thanks. folks on, but I agree. And I, I'll tell you right now, I, students are not going back in May. I, that's not going to happen because we have not gotten rid of, of of the new cases. As a matter of fact, they seem to be increasing, and that's kind of frightening. Uh, let me see. Where are we going next here? Uh, bum, 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 bum. Eric, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Hi, Eric.
2: Good morning, Bill. How are you?
0: Good. How are you feeling today?
2: Uh, a little relieved that we're finally putting some measures in place to uh, limit the number of passengers on the bus uh, as you know from all the uh, reports that have been going out uh, we've been very stressed lately how uh, how are they, the drivers
0: responding to this eric i mean uh, you know 30 35 people on a bus i mean come on
2: what
0: they don't get the message
2: exactly and and that's why it's come to what it has uh you know my drivers have been saying look you know, it's heartbreaking to leave people behind. That's not in our nature. We, You know, we always try to fit everybody on. Uh, but the reality is we're not doing them any, uh, any disservice by loading them on. Uh, we're actually causing them harm. And when you've got the premier and the uh, prime minister saying social uh, and physical distancing of six feet, uh, it's, it's irresponsible in our mind to be piling that many people into a bus. Well,
0: there's people that just take advantage of this, Eric. That's what it comes down to. Uh, You know, we heard the stories from some of your drivers. I mean, you know, there are people going down to the lake to go fishing and things like that. That's, That's not what this is for, and that's not what they should be doing in times like this. And look at you guys... And and we're, we're talking with Eric Tucker, of course, from the Malcomated Transit Union. Uh, you have the right to a safe workplace, and if, if these people are going to continue to do this, uh, I'm not suggesting they all walk off the job, but they just might say, you know what, it's not safe, we're not driving the buses today. And how would people do that? That's that's not the end result we want to hear. They're, you need compliance.
2: You're absolutely correct. We're out there, as we've been saying all along, for essential service. Uh, And the fact of the matter is, when you're climbing onto that bus to go uh, just hang out down at uh, the mall at Jackson Square or to go fishing or whatever... Uh, you're taking a seat away from an essential service person who may need that seat to get to work. Uh, we have a lot of home support workers who go in and take care of our seniors in their homes, uh, get them out of bed, take care of them, clean them up, get them fed. Uh, and if they're not able to get to work, then they're not able to take care of those people and they're left laying there in their own waste and stuff. And you really need to think twice before you climb onto that bus. Do I really have to make this trip uh, before you get onto that bus, please?
0: Eric, you and uh, your drivers uh, do a great job at at the best of times, day in and day out, but uh, under these very, very trying circumstances, uh, please uh, extend our thanks to each and every one of them for going to work each and every day to make sure that this happens, and uh, stay healthy.
2: Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. And just one quick uh, other matter. I just want to make sure everyone in a PMD or a wheelchair understands that they really should be bringing an assistant along uh, because we're not able to assist them due to the uh, 6 uh, uh barrier.
0: Yep. Excellent. Eric Tech, thanks again, Eric. We'll talk soon. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the other things that I, I guess is on hold right now, too, is uh, – uh, Hamilton's uh, bid for the 2030 Commonwealth Games, I, I think we all know the background That's the 100th anniversary of the Commonwealth Games the first ever Commonwealth Games was here in Hamilton and uh, that's why it seems fitting that that we should get the bid for this and uh, there was a, a great deal of effort and and, uh, and concentration that went into this bid in the initial stages but uh, it seems to be up in the air like everything else is these days uh, Lou Fapardi joins us he's a spokesperson with the Hamilton 100 team uh, and he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show, good morning Lou, how are you doing today, feeling well?
6: I'm uh, I'm well, Bill. Thank you so much.
0: Good. How are you? No, that, uh, good. I mean, that, you know, we've mentioned that last week. I mean, how are you doing today? It was usually just a conversation opener. Now it's a sincere question. You know, is everybody okay here? But uh, let, let's get into what's going on here with the bid. Um, as, as you and I and PJ McCandy talked about this on a number of different occasions, uh, things seem to be coming together quite nicely for this, that, which is no way indicating that, you know, you guys were out of the woods. There's still a lot of work to be done. But what's the status of it right now, Lou?
6: well, i'm I'm happy to share that with you and your callers, acknowledging that the community has a great deal uh, on its mind right now with with the pandemic and the disruption that that's causing. But we have been in communication with the leadership of of Commonwealth Sports Canada and the Federation itself, and uh, I'm delighted to share some news about that as perhaps a welcome distraction from what we're all having to contend with. So we have been in discussions with them over the last week or so. Uh, They, as you'll recall, and maybe some of your listeners will recall, were uh, intending to make an announcement with respect to the Canadian preferred host city by the end of March, but that was postponed for obvious reasons. And in speaking with them subsequently, uh, they confirmed that Hamilton's bid was very strong. Uh, They have given us every reason to believe, and we are very optimistic that we will be announced as Canada's choice to host the 2020 or the 2030 games in due course, But in the the context of our discussions with them over the last 10 days, uh, they have also raised with us and and have invited us to consider whether in the circumstances we would be prepared to consider also bidding on the 2026 games. And um, at this moment, in consultation with with all of our stakeholders, we're going through the process of determining whether uh, we believe it would be helpful to submit a bid for 2026 as well as 2030. And, And in part... Um, it has to do with the fact that I think the world that we all were living in a month or two ago is quite a bit different than the world that uh, that greets us now.
0: Is that not the uh, the the bid, though, that Calgary was t- considering doing? Yes. So have they dropped it then, Lou?
6: I can't speak to whether they formally dropped out uh, or not, but um, as I'm understanding it, they're not formally in contention for 2026 at this point.
0: Uh, which is probably good news for you guys anyway. Now, it, when when you had that discussion then, this is breaking news. This is great. I'm glad you were able to share this with us today. Uh, so they want you to actually bid on both sets of games, both 26 and 30.
6: Yes. Uh, that was the suggestion that was made, and, and we have um, indicated to them, and they have been gracious enough to allow us a period of time with which to consider the request. We haven't confirmed that we are considering the request We've agreed collectively that we would have until the end of April to consult with all of those that are our stakeholders, which would include, of course, the city, city staff, city council, um, our members uh, across the region, and come up with a decision about whether, in fact, we'd we'd like to consider that. And then if we do decide collectively that we'd like to consider that, and I'm, I'm happy to share with you why I think we might, then we would begin to have discussions about what that might look like, Um, why it might make sense what it is that they may be prepared to do to support us in that request Uh, and all of that would have to go back to uh, city council of course um, before any formal decision could be made
0: well give me your thoughts on that well, uh, but, you
6: know. So, f- first of all, I'm I'm, I'm speaking uh, very preliminarily. We um, in our uh, and this is yeah.
0: Sure yeah this is just the, this is Lou's opinion. I know you've talked to some of the other members of the Hamilton One Hundred, but I'm, this is not an official line right now. I just want to know what you you've done an awful lot of work and research on this, Lou. So I think you've got some context here.
6: Sure, and, and here's our preliminary thinking about this bill. Um, again, stating that you know no decision has been made. We were on a video conference call with a variety of government officials uh, and the. Federation's leadership in the UK yesterday to explore this. And among the considerations that we're going to have to discuss um, are are the following. First of all, in relation to 2030, uh, even though I expect that we will be announced as the preferred Canadian candidate city, uh, the decision with respect to 2030, uh, now owing in part to the pandemic, will likely not be made globally until late 2022 or 2023. There will be a number of other global cities, undoubtedly, that will express an interest in 2030. We haven't yet negotiated, um, because we're not formally the preferred Canadian candidate city, what's referred to as the multi-party agreement. And this is the agreement between the bid organization and, and all the levels of government that deals with the delivery of the games and financial risk. So that document would still need to be negotiated. And so it would be very much, that is our participation in 2030, would be very much contingent on a variety of events. And so in considering whether we would talk about 2026, we're not being obliged or asked to withdraw our bid for 2030. We don't need to make that choice at this point. So that would be a consideration. Secondly, it is, as I said a moment ago, a new world now. And the consideration and priorities that we've spoken about in our bid around investment, research, innovation, affordable housing, along with tourism, hospitality, athletics and wellness, All of these things, I think, take on an entirely different meaning owing to the virus and the massive economic dislocation that this is causing and will cause for some period of time. And so the need for investment, for economic activity, for employment and for all of the social impact and development programming that are central to our bid could be realized much sooner for our community and it would really make a difference in the region, the province and in our country. for 2026 in a way that would be much more immediate than the potential for the games down the road in 2030. And that's a consideration.
0: And, Lou, um, the, I, oh, know, go I, ahead. No, go. Sorry,
6: go. go ahead. No, no, please go no, ahead. No, I was just
0: going to ask you, you've had this discussion with the Canadian uh, arm of this. Has there been any discussion with the international members here that, uh, that, uh, that, you know, in other words, where did this idea come from? Is this something that was hatched here or is it the international body now that's saying maybe that's not a bad idea to have one city do two consecutive games?
6: Well, to be clear, so first of all, this was brought to us recently. Um, as I said a moment ago, the discussion that we had involved not only the Canadian leadership of the Commonwealth Games Association but also the UK leadership. And so David Grevenberg, okay. the Federation CEO was on the video conference call with us yesterday talking with us about this and exploring this idea. It, as it's presently constituted the offer isn't that we do both. The suggestion is that we consider also putting a bid forward for 2026. And so, okay. uh, as it currently stands, uh, if this were to go and we were to submit a bid for 2026, and assuming that that, that bid might proceed forward as it, what we're currently looking at now is 2026 an alternative to 2030. Recognizing that 2030 is the centenary. Um, but were the appropriate offer to be made, which um, I think satisfied all of the requisite stakeholders in the region, dealt with the issue of risk, presented some incentives, and I think, without speaking definitively at this point, presented the risk or the benefit, I should say, for this community of employment and investment, the prospect of tourism, um, I think that's a conversation that we'll likely want to have without prejudging its outcome.
0: What does this do to if if this were to happen? And I know we're we're still speaking in the hypothetical here, uh, but to your cost estimates, I mean, basically, you're, if if that were to happen, and and let's go down that road for just a little bit here, Lou. Where okay, you do make a bid for twenty six, and and you are the Canadian uh, representative for for that uh, those games. Uh, What about the investors here? I mean, all of a sudden, you've you've just shortened the time frame here, which is uh, not enough time, or is it going to be enough time to prepare the city and to prepare all the amenities that you would need to prepare to have the games? I mean, right now, you've been working up until this week on the premise that it was going to not be for another 10 years.
6: Right. So it's a great question, and here's what I can say about that right now. First of all, these are the 2026 games, uh, and so uh, we're talking about six years out. There's no question, though, that that compri- compressed time frame would oblige us and the Federation and, and Commonwealth sports to really move quickly to come to an agreement and understanding. Uh, although we didn't get into it in any detail, what they had suggested to us what that, is that they were very open to conversations around uh, incentives and inducements um, as a way of mitigating the risk and, and dealing with whatever considerations or concerns might exist in putting on an effective game for 2026. Uh, They're open to conversations about the approval process. They're open to conversations about how to make this as efficient and timely as possible. And I think were we to express a resolve to discuss this with them, um, my sense of it, and they've been very gracious and extremely supportive, is that they would move heaven and earth to make it work for us. And all of our stakeholders, including the various levels of government that would have to be involved in doing this. So if there was a resolve uh, to go forward and and, and if our partners at, uh, at City Hall and within the province and federal government were all of a similar mind, I have no doubt that this could be done and, and done, uh, I think, in a very effective and positive way.
0: And from the information you've given us so far, uh, it's not as if you're recreating everything here, because as you talked about with the committee, as as you shared with us a a couple of weeks ago, Lou, uh, a lot of the amenities that would be necessary for the games are already here. Uh, You're really building on some of the infrastructure that's already in existence.
6: Correct. And look, there's no getting around the fact, again, without prejudging the outcome of this consideration, is that um, we want to have an open mind about it. The success of the 2022 and especially the 2026 games is going to be important to the games as an institution and leading up to 2030 and its centenary. They, they've they asked us whether we, we consider discussing this with them as something that they felt was important for us to consider. We feel, given that we're the birthplace of the games in 1930, that we have an obligation of stewardship to the games. We feel it's important to support them in any way that we can, if we can. And it would seem, at least to me, to be short-sighted and to refuse to have an open mind about that conversation. And I have no doubt that Hamiltonians... Um, and the province of Ontario, the federal government, were we all inclined to do this, would do an exceptional job. And I, I just, you know, to my mind, can't help but thinking, uh, seeing how much suffering and disturbance the community is going through along with other communities, That conversations around the investment of this amount of money and infrastructure and the employment that it leads to and what it means for our hospitality interests or, or um, community, uh, it's just a critically important conversation to be open-minded about at this point.
0: Obviously, Lou, everybody's hit the the, the pause button with just about everything these days. Uh, But this uh, accelerating this time frame—if this were to happen, or at least the conversation to accelerate the time uh, frame—means you guys have got to sharpen your pencil and get back to work. I mean, there's going to have to be some discussion here. I think pretty soon.
6: Yeah, it's a really, Bill. It's a really challenging balance. We we are extremely sensitive to what's going on in the community and the world around us. I think for most, understandably, we're all simply reacting to what's happening. It's been very, very difficult for everybody. Uh, I I would absolutely allow that for virtually everyone, conversations about an athletic event or sports or even investment um, seem maybe a little peripheral to just getting through the next few weeks and months. On the other hand, um, you know, infrastructure investments and, and programming of this magnitude require so much advanced planning. And so we, we are um, quietly and behind the scenes talking um, very intensely about this and trying to find a path forward um, looking towards that, that, that moment. I, I hope weeks and months from now when things get to be a bit more regular. And we're really needing to talk about economic activity and investment and support for this community and the businesses within it, that the conversation will see more timely. And we'd like to be prepared to be able to meet that moment if it comes to
0: us. Well, and as we've discussed on the program here, uh, this is obviously the crisis. This is what we're doing here with is COVID-19. And as you mentioned, trying to get through this. Uh, but at some point, we are going to come out the other end. And, uh, you know, we don't want to say, geez, I wish we'd pay a little more attention to this in the, uh, because life is going to go on. And, and you're right, uh, economic recovery is going to be a big part of that discussion. And uh, this well could be a, a, a catalyst, in, especially in this particular area for that. And, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but it, it's it's a discussion that has to happen. We can't wait until, okay, we're finished with COVID now. Now, where were we six months ago? Uh, you can't really afford to do that with a bit of this magnitude.
6: Yeah, and and one of the things that um, is is very much in my mind, given the work that that uh, we are doing and are, as you recall, our law firm Belling WLG is doing with McMaster, Mohawk, and others, is that Hamilton, um, and this is a note of optimism, is as many have seen in the news, becoming increasingly central in its expertise in health and life sciences to to the new world, the world in which are being able to deliver therapeutic remedies for these kinds of pandemics. Uh, and to combine our advanced manufacturing expertise with that basic research in health and life sciences is going to be central to investment and development in this region given the core competencies here. And this Games bid, as you'll recall, was very much centered around taking all of these assets in this region, you uh, know, focus around sustainable development and healthy and well communities, bringing them together around an athletic event, but very much in support of development in economic investment and innovation, and it seems now we have anticipated, um, bizarrely, this world that we're in in a way that makes this bid much more relevant and important to this community and catalyzing Hamilton as central to, I think, what's going to happen in our country and the world.
0: This is uh, interesting news, and I, I don't want to be a little and say it's a diversion but it is some it's it's a good news story and i mean a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with these days uh i wish you all the best on this lou and and obviously this is a bit of a pivot for you and it's going to take some work by an awful lot of people uh and we're not even sure if this is the right tack for it but those conversations i guess are ongoing right now uh please stay in touch with us let us know how this is working out over the next little while this is a this is a ra- rather interesting twist to i think a fascinating and and what could be a great story for the city
6: uh, thank you, Bill, and to everybody in Hamilton. I, I, uh, I wish everybody uh, great good care, and uh, we'll hope to speak with you about this in the near future again.
0: You bet, and you too. Take care of yourself, Lou. Thanks again. All right. Lou, for party, of course, uh, from Gowlings, who is uh, one of the spokespeople for the Hamilton 100 bid team. And there you go, breaking news. You heard it first right here that uh, the 2030 uh, bid is still alive, but the uh, committee, the Canadian committee, has asked these guys to also bid for the, the games before that, four years before that, in 26, which is not that far away It's a news story that just broke moments ago, and we'll follow that up and give you all the details and any further developments uh, as they occur. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free.